0: It's now possible to choose services from companies that declare themselves carbon neutral or pay a bit extra for flights, say, to offset the generated carbon emissions. But a number of overseas scandals have revealed the worst side of this fledgling carbon credit market. And now, as mainstream businesses begin to get involved in New Zealand, questions are being asked about the local schemes on offer. Ian Telfer investigates where the millions of dollars being spent on offsetting end up, and if they are making any real environmental difference. Right.
1: Courtney, please. New Zealand now has its first carbon-neutral taxi service. Last month, the capital's biggest taxi company, Wellington Combined, raised a few eyebrows when it announced its cabs had been certified as producing no net greenhouse gas emissions. Two years ago, carbon neutral was just a buzzword with individuals who wanted to do something about climate change. But it's rapidly becoming mainstream. New Zealand now has a carbon neutral airport and at least a dozen exporting wineries who proclaim it on the labels of their Sauvignon Blanc. And Air New Zealand now offers its passengers the chance to lessen the greenhouse impact of their travel. Wellington Combined Taxis Marketing Manager, Annie de Graaf, says becoming carbon neutral has taken two years of hard work but it's been worth the effort.
2: We're a taxi fleet of 442 vehicles and we really loved the whole 100% Pure tourism campaign that was going around and we really wanted to kind of get involved and do our bit so all this marketing that's going on overseas when they actually come to Wellington or New Zealand, they can actually see that things are going on here. And it was also a huge thing with what our customers wanted from us, government, corporate, all of that. So we aimed to to give them what they want.
1: The company now has an emissions reduction plan. Its drivers were shocked when Wellington combined banned new petrol-only cars in favour of hybrid electric petrol versions, diesels and LPG, which all have lower greenhouse gas outputs. In five years' time, petrol-only vehicles will be gone altogether.
2: Well, we put a reduction plan in place during last year that no petrol-only vehicles were allowed into our fleet, which is quite a huge thing. You know, I've been here three years now and at first the customers, all they wanted was the big petrol six-cylinder cars and they wanted to be comfy and they wanted the luxury of it. And to see that completely change to these smaller cars has just been fantastic. We've already got over 45 hybrids in our fleet, but we also don't want to focus just on one type of car. We've got the new Euro 4 diesels which are fantastic and we've even got about five i30 Hyundai's on now which you know compete quite closely with the hybrid which is cool. So we've, we've also got the Sonata diesels, the new diesels in our fleet as well which just give a bit more room to, to people who do want room but still being very efficient.
1: It's not yet clear how much difference to the environment it will make and unless all its taxis are replaced one day with fully electric vehicles, there'll always be emissions from driving them. So to be branded carbon neutral, the taxi company will, each year, spend several hundred thousand dollars on carbon credits to offset its greenhouse gas outputs. Wellington Combined buys these credits from an offshoot of the Crown Research Institute Landcare Research called Carbon Zero, which worked out how many were needed by measuring all the company's operational emissions. Carbon Zero's technical manager, Anne Smith, explains the types of offsets it offers.
0: There are three ways that you can create carbon credits. One is by removing emissions from the atmosphere, which would be sequestering um, greenhouse gases, particularly carbon dioxide, in some form of forestry scheme. The other ways are to avoid emissions going into the atmosphere. So that's exactly what a wind farm does. It generates electricity through renewable energy, and that should displace some Electricity from coal-fired generation. And then you've also got other forms of preventing greenhouse gases getting into the atmosphere, such as recovering methane from landfill sites. Uh, it's, it's avoid, reduce or sink.
1: Much of the money spent on buying offsets for flights and taxi trips ends up here at the Tararua Wind Farm on the hills above Palmerston North. The 130 wind turbines you can hear behind me are producing enough power for 90,000 homes. But they're also creating more than 1 million carbon credits for their owner Trust Power. So opt to pay a few extra dollars for flying from Wellington to Auckland or taking a combined taxi ride, and the money finds its way to Trust Power to purchase some of these carbon credits. The credits are based on the fact that wind power creates far fewer emissions than the alternative coal or gas-fired stations, as Trust Power's trading and risk manager, Therese Thorne, explains.
0: In
3: New Zealand, marginal generation is thermal-based, so we have the coal-fired power stations at Huntley, and we've got a number of gas-fired generators, if you have a wind farm, then that actually then runs into the grid instead of that thermal plant being run and therefore reduces the amount of carbon that's emitted because now the thermal stations no longer have to generate electricity.
1: It turns out that credits Trust Power is selling came from the government under a scheme called Projects to Reduce Emissions. Seven years ago, the Ministry for the Environment began issuing more than nine million credits made available from a pool of credits New Zealand was estimated to have under the Kyoto Protocol. The allocation of the credits was effectively a subsidy to Trustpower, provided in the knowledge that the company would be able to sell them later to raise revenue. This deferred income stream made it economic for Trust Power to expand Tararua to 134 gleaming white turbines. To raise Thorne says the extra income of about $30 million is the only reason the project got off the ground.
3: The New Zealand government introduced our Projects to Reduce Emissions Scheme as part of its climate change policy in 2002. And Trustpower, amongst a number of companies, entered a tender process for building renewable generators to reduce carbon emissions as a result of those being built. And at that stage, it wasn't cost-effective to build wind plant in New Zealand or wind generators in New Zealand. And the payment that, or the credits that Trustpower received from the government under that scheme enabled us to build our generation schemes on the Tararua River Mountains. Uh, we also were successful in getting emissions reduction units for some of our small hydro schemes under that program. So we gained uh, in excess of a million units.
1: These credits are not just going to offsets for taxi companies. Trust Power has sold its credits to Japanese and European electricity generators and to Air New Zealand for its voluntary offsetting scheme for passengers. But many people see this sort of thing as a form of double counting. The generator gets to sell its power as carbon neutral and then gets credits on top to sell to others so their actions can be dubbed carbon neutral too. When in opposition, this was heavily criticised by National Party MP Nick Smith as a kind of modern-day hocus-pocus. As the now Minister for Climate Change Issues, he remains critical of the process.
4: The units that were allocated under the projects to reduce emissions were designed around this quite vague concept of additionality. And it's a really difficult thing to prove that, well, I will only have built this wind farm in the event that I had the projects to reduce emissions allocation, when lots of wind farms have been built in New Zealand without those. uh, Trying to draw a line between which ones would have and which ones would not uh, is fraught with difficulty. But Trust Power rejects that.
3: In New Zealand, government was quite careful in assessing the projects that were put on the table to make sure that additionality was necessary. And I think, that, I think our New Zealand government and our New Zealand processes are robust. Um, I can't comment about what's happened overseas because I am aware that you know, there, there was misleading data. But I think in New Zealand, you know, we, we are a robust company. The government does understand um, what was involved. It wasn't cost effective to build a wind farm at that stage, and therefore these units were required to get wind across the line.
1: The projects to reduce emissions scheme gave out credits in 2003 and 4 before being stopped by the previous government. Dr Smith says there will be no such schemes under National.
4: The previous government for a couple of years had these projects to reduce emissions where they allocated units. They were put forward on the assumption that the government was going to have this super big surplus of units when their calculations were wrong. The moment they found out that there was not going to be a big surplus of units They suspended the programme. All the advice I'm giving is that New Zealand's going to be very finely in balance, and so we've got no intention of giving away New Zealand units through such projects, simply because the New Zealand government doesn't have them, and we're going to be cutting it very fine to meet our Kyoto obligations already.
1: Many of the beneficiaries of the projects to reduce emissions scheme were power companies, and the industry insists it was legitimate, and brought forward the development of the country's first wind farms by at least four years. But it also means a public policy initiative to increase the amount of renewable energy five years ago is being used by businesses like Wellington Combined to green up its image now. It's not alone on the merry-go-round of carbon money. Christchurch's airport, the vehicle company Toyota, two power companies and at least a dozen wineries have all been given the carbon neutral tag by independent organisations. The voluntary offset industry is growing very quickly. From almost nothing three years ago, it's expected to trade up to 200,000 credits this year, worth about $5 million. Some people say this has led to a Wild West mentality as companies rush after gold in an unregulated area. Many are warning well-meaning people will soon be hurt in carbon scams. The Green Party's climate change spokesperson, Jeanette Fitzsimons, says she worries the bad behaviour by some will discredit the whole enterprise.
5: I see it as a considerable problem that some members of the public who don't have the opportunity to know better are going to get hoodwinked by people claiming to sell them carbon offsets that aren't real or that are double counted or um, that aren't additional to what would have happened.
1: Worldwide, the total value of carbon credits in circulation is already estimated at $30 billion, much of which is countries in the developed world buying credits from projects in the developing world. But there have been a number of overseas scandals, including trees planted for carbon in India which were never watered, and so-called hot-air credits generated from the collapse of Russia's economy since 1990. Recently there have been reports of Australian credits which have been sold multiple times over to a range of different firms. Carbon Zero, which is widely regarded as the most credible certifying agency in New Zealand, says it believes carbon cowboys are a clear and present danger to the fledgling industry. Technical manager Ann Smith says their practices could threaten this country's agricultural export industry, which has a growing reliance on certification to sell produce overseas.
0: The concerns I would have is that if there was a certification for an overseas product going into overseas markets that was found to be wanting by the overseas retailers like Tesco's or Marks & Spencer's or Sainsbury's, my fear would be that it wouldn't be a headline about that particular certification provider it would be a headline about you know Kiwi carbon scam or you know Kiwi products are not properly certified so that's my main fear is that we do need to educate people to make sure that the provider they go with is properly accredited.
1: Radio New Zealand has not found any evidence of patently dodgy carbon offsetting schemes in New Zealand but questions remain about many aspects of the schemes and with the certifiers themselves. Kath Wallace is the co-chair of the Environment and Conservation Organisations and an environmental economist at Victoria University. Ms Wallace says it's becoming clear many schemes need further scrutiny.
6: I have a student, Rob Mitchell, who's doing some in-depth look at the organisations that certify carbon neutrality and what he's finding is that some of them are very thorough and very detailed and very transparent about what they do so that it's possible to see what an organisation that they've certified has done. All of them have got a few problems, but some of them are much, and this is true globally, some of them are much less robust than others. And even some of the good ones have got a a kind of range of levels of certification so that they can put companies that want to be certified, for instance, or organisations, they might be councils or something like that, they can choose a sort of short, shallow track or a deepened, genuinely robust track, so I think we have to be pretty careful about them.
1: So far it's still a small field with just a handful of serious providers. But Ms Wallace says some certifiers need to be much more open about how they operate if the public are to have any confidence in them.
6: One of the difficulties is that people um, are making claims but not actually putting all the information out in the public domain so that one can judge that. And one company my student has looked at has... Uh, just got stuff on the website but it's not total information and even worse a number of the companies he approached simply wouldn't respond they just said they were too busy. Now most of us don't have the time that a master's student doing a thesis has to investigate these things so I think we have to really put some pressure on and, and even maybe ask for some regulations so that the full details of claims are put out there and are able to be explored and verified.
1: Even the largest certifier, Carbon Zero, is now coming in for criticism. Some of its competitors accuse it of holding an unnatural monopoly position because it's owned by a Crown Research Institute, Landcare Research. They feel it acts as a de facto regulator, able to alter the rules for the whole field to its own advantage. Carbon Zero rejects that, saying there are no rules in the unregulated environment to influence. Another problem is the lack of agreement about which projects actually deliver lasting environmental benefit. Kath Wallace again.
6: If you've got a wind farm that is genuinely displacing coal-fired power station, then that's a very useful thing to do. Pine trees are a useful short-term way of taking carbon out of the atmosphere, but you have to look at what happens when you chop it down. You may well get release of soil carbon as well as the materials from the pine trees. But on the other hand, if we can convert from using, say, concrete into using timber houses, that's a useful store for 90 years or whatever it might be, which gives us a bit of time. Some of the other things, I think trying to look after our native forests and the other ecosystems, the tussock grasslands, I think has got to be the highest priority.
1: But some certifiers say the scientific understanding of the carbon effects of tree planting schemes is simply not good enough to guarantee a long-term benefit. They will only sell offsets from renewable energy projects, either in New Zealand or from developing countries like China or India. Annie DeGraff says her taxi company chose the Tararua Wind Farm because it didn't feel comfortable with the tree planting schemes on offer.
2: I guess with tree planting, for us, it's not maybe as credible as purchasing credits through a project that's already been done. I worry, you know, you put money into trees, but then there's no guarantee that these trees will actually stay for the next 50 years and will actually suck anything in. You know, if if there was a, a storm tomorrow and they... All got blown away, then, yeah, I don't know. For us personally, we wanted to focus on projects.
1: The Greens' Jeanette Fitzsimons insists there are ways tree planting can be the best action.
5: Those new native forests on land that wasn't forest in 1990 are very carefully measured and monitored. They have to set aside 10% of their area and get no credits for that to cope with as an insurance for fire and pest damage. They don't just assume how much carbon they're going to absorb, they go around and measure it every few years. The money we pay goes to the landowner to encourage them to do that work and it's permanent, Uh, it's permanence is assured and it's additional, it wouldn't have happened otherwise and it is actually taking carbon out of the air.
1: It's all good in theory, but no commercial-scale tree planting to create carbon credits has yet begun. Millions of pine seedlings grown in anticipation of such projects this year had to be pulped when buyers panicked and pulled out. What little money is being made from long-term carbon sinks is with small landowners who are not tree planting at all. They're regenerating.
7: If you look uh, at that coarse face now, you can see it's pretty much all smooth, a complete canopy. And then just to the left of it, other side of the fence, it's like 50-50 gorse and rough pasture. To me that's fantastic because it's a huge step forward in, in terms of the natural succession. Hopefully in, in five or ten years we'll see forest in there instead of the gorse. That, that's bulking up in carbon really. I mean that's that's it you can see it there and but right there the, in the comparison. You about used to walk through there pretty easily without much trouble but now it's a uh, uh, lot scratchier. <laughs>
1: 35 hectares of degraded hill country above the Wellington suburb of Brooklyn is now permanently set aside by a Natural Heritage Trust for regeneration. Over the last decade, the Trust has fenced the whole area, killed the pest animals and let nature do the rest. Just in the last two years, it's also joined the voluntary carbon market, selling about 100 carbon credits a year for about $2,000 of income. One of the land's trustees, Tim Park, says it's not big money, but it does help.
7: Yeah, we get a check. The trust is a non-profit, and we've got no real income other than money we apply for for grants. So it gives us some discretionary money to to help hunters and shoot goats in there and provide them with ammo, and also allows us to you know patch up the fence when there's you know a washout and you know that, that kind of thing. It allows us to buy some possum traps and some poison for the possums and things like that. So it gives us a bit of discretionary stuff that we can we don't have to go through the whole process of finding the money from elsewhere.
1: Blocks like this are also teaching scientists and ecologists just where the biggest potential for increasing the carbon store in plants and soil lies. It turns out that the humble wild goat may be this country's most serious carbon predator. It's now believed one of the keys to locking up carbon, a process called sequestration, will be the control of the goats and other pest animals like possums and deer which consume so much organic matter. A study for the Department of Conservation recently concluded that conservation land alone has the potential to meet New Zealand's Kyoto obligations in full if the pests were much more intensively controlled. The costs are large, so DOC has begun offering businesses the chance to pay for the pest control work on public land in return for any carbon credits generated. It's also offering a suite of projects for the regeneration of degraded land on a similar basis. Doc's commercial manager, Harry Marr, says the projects yield benefits for both parties.
8: Yeah, all of these projects on the basis that the investor pays all the costs of the project, whatever those costs are, um, and in return for paying all the costs, they then get access to the carbon credits. And so what the Crown gets out of this is, in the case of the post-89, they get reforestation of a usually a degraded a- area of public conservation land, or in the case of the pre-1990 blocks like the North Makanui, you get a significantly improved ecosystem health through the pest control, and uh, in return, said so the investor gets the carbon
1: credits. Doc has had trouble finding willing investors. Although one project has been picked up by the state-owned coal mining firm Solid Energy on the west coast of the South Island, Mr. Maher explains the deal.
8: We've signed up one agreement with Solid Energy for the pre-1990 project on the west coast. We call it the North Maranui block, and so that's a 23,000 hectare pest control project to sequester carbon. It's not eligible for Kyoto-compliant carbon credits, but it is eligible for voluntary market credits. But essentially that's a research project for Solid Energy to do test a number of things and how to set these projects up. They've got uh, measurement plots installed inside the block and also to just understand the relationship between pest control and carbon sequestration over a
1: period of time. Solid Energy appears to have used this as a pilot study to see how many credits such a project would generate. And it raises the prospect that even a coal mine could potentially declare itself carbon neutral if it was able to amass enough credits with which to offset. The only regulator of the voluntary or so-called grey carbon market is the Commerce Commission. It's already been investigating a number of complaints against power companies using the carbon neutral tag. Last week the Commission released its findings on the actions of Meridian Energy which had to buy large amounts of power from the national grid during last year's dry winter. The Commission's Wellington manager of Fair Trading, Greg Allen, says Meridian did not break the law. We received a number of complaints against
9: Meridian in relation to their claims of having carbon neutral electricity. We investigated those claims and uh, we found that they had in fact received accreditation from a company called Carbon Zero, that the accreditation was done uh, in line with national standards and international standards, and uh, we believe that uh, they hadn't actually committed an offence under the Fair Trading Act in relation to that. In saying that, we believe there were some parts of their advertising that could have been clearer, and they've tidied those up to make sure that um, they're not liable to confuse or mislead anybody.
1: In its three investigations so far, the Commission has not yet found any evidence of wrongdoing, but has now taken the step of issuing guidelines for the marketing of carbon claims. Greg Allen says under law, companies must be able to back up any claim they make. The green issues or um, products and services are like
9: any other product and service within New Zealand in relation to the Fair Trading Act. People have to be transparent and honest in what they are telling consumers so that they can make an informed decision. Sometimes the consumers may not be happy with the message, but providing they are not misled, then the company is entitled to make those claims.
1: Mr Allen says he's confident the market will sort
9: out the problem by itself. It's not necessarily a job for the Commission. I think the market itself um, eventually will root those people out because people will become aware that they are maybe not as good as they claim and will therefore not want to
1: risk their uh, reputation by being involved with them. But the Green Party's Jeanette Fitzsimons worries some of the terms being used are a form of greenwashing.
5: I would never use the term carbon neutral. I think it's quite a dangerous term. I think it is misleading uh, because uh, what they really mean is we've drawn a boundary around our fuel use and we think that is being offset in some other way. But um, everything we do generates carbon. What about the carbon it takes to manufacture the aeroplanes? They don't count that. What about the carbon it takes for all their staff to get to the airport to crew their planes or whatever? Uh, What about the carbon it takes to run all the airport machinery? You know, there's lots of emissions that are created and in fact the grove mill winery i understand which declared itself carbon neutral realized in the end that it hadn't counted its bottles so there's always a fish hook and trying to be carbon neutral i think it's i think it's a dangerous thing to claim
1: it's a far cry from 2007 when the then prime minister helen clark said new zealand as a country should aspire to become carbon neutral The Minister for Climate Change Issues, Nick Smith, says he's reluctant to get involved around terms like carbon neutral, but
4: is aware of the issues, and will intervene if necessary. At the moment we have no more than the Commerce Commission guidelines. That's better than nothing. I commend the Commerce Commission for taking that first step. Uh, A number of other countries are looking at actually providing uh, effectively a government endorsement. That is something that I'm open to so that consumers can have confidence in the claims that are made around the climate change friendliness of the products that they are marketing, the immediate priority for government is getting a emissions trading scheme for New Zealand up and running. To some degree, these issues may curtail off uh, once we have certified New Zealand units and the accounting credibility behind them. And so that remains the government's first priority If there maintains a market in grey units or non-Kyoto units, there may be some necessity uh, for regulation in this area. Dr Smith believes the current grey market will
1: probably ebb away as soon as emissions trading is up and running. He says few companies will want to stump up for voluntary carbon offsets when they're already paying for their emissions through a compulsory scheme. Indeed, Green MPs say they'll stop their present practice of offsetting their air travel once emissions trading is in place for aircraft fuels. And it appears some of the sources of credits currently causing concern will simply dry up. Therese Thorne from Trustpower says there are no mechanisms for it to generate new credits once the million it picked up for renewable projects are sold out. Under the
3: scheme, the way the government's going, they're not proposing to issue any more credits of this sort. I would love to have a way of generating credits from another source. Um, But in New Zealand, probably the only way to generate credits is actually to grow pine trees, and that isn't
1: trust core business. But some environmental groups fear schemes will continue to spring up as a type of fig leaf for companies that have no intention of reducing their emissions. Greenpeace opposes all forms of offsetting, saying they just amount to a licence to keep polluting. Jeanette Fitzsimons admits there are problems, but defends the systems that are evolving.
5: Well, obviously nobody's doing anywhere near enough to make a difference to the planet at the moment. We're still at the stage of trying to get the rules straight and trying to get some mechanisms in place. But a lot of people genuinely want to do the best they can in their own lives. It's never going to be enough, but we should provide the mechanism for people to do the best they can if they want.
1: The emissions trading scheme is widely expected to survive its present government review with delays in the joining dates for some sectors such as stationary energy production and agriculture. But exactly how it operates may determine whether the voluntary carbon market becomes a permanent fixture or just a passing fad.
0: That program was written and presented by Ian Telfer. Technical production was by Leanne Smith and it was produced by Sue Ingram.